what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Yeah, so when the pandemic started, I was living in my condo in downtown Toronto. And I live alone. And I was really lonely. I was talking to myself. I was looking at myself in the mirror, giving myself high fives. (laughs) It was a really strange time. And my older brother had moved back in with my parents and my younger brother. And they were always sending me videos of them having dinner together and doing tricks on my dad. And I kind of started to feel left out. And I wanted to join in on the fun. So I brought my work computer, all my work stuff, and decided to move in with them for what I thought was going to be two weeks. And how long did it end up being? Well, I'm still here, so it's been about a year and a half. Hey, I'm Maisie Rowe. This is The Dog Project. And that is Rima Hamadi. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's last spring, and suddenly, Rima's entire family find themselves living under the same roof. For the first time in about a decade. Yeah, so there's Adonis, who's 31. He's my older brother. Uh, First of three children in the family. And the first one to return home. Like before the NBA shut down, before it was announced as a global pandemic, I moved back home and then um, it became a permanent thing. Um, There's my mom, Samar Hamadi. We're snowbirds and uh, we were supposed to come back uh, April, but we... um, Cut our trip short and came mid-March. Then there's my dad, Joe Hamadi. It was very interesting because um, we got to know the adult kind of uh, uh, children that we have. um, And we got to know a lot of their secrets. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's child number three, Rami. Who is 28. He's my younger brother. But I also act as your sister growing up because you wanted a sister. What? Yeah, I wanted a younger sister so badly. I was like begging my mom. I tried to exchange Rami at a store once for a sister. (laughs) Like I just really wanted a sister and I think Rami felt for me. So he would just let me dress him up, which was great. Yeah. Wonderful. So what kind of relationship did you have with your siblings growing up? It was very fun. We were all very close in age, but we're a very competitive family. So we were always playing games, trying to one-up each other. What exactly were you competing over? Oh my God, everything. (laughs) Literally everything. We would say, like, who could do something the fastest. Anytime we were in a swimming pool, we would compete who could hold their breath the longest. Which one of you could hold your breath the longest? Oh, I was pretty good, but I feel like... Adonis is very stubborn, so I think he would have rathered passed out than (laughs) lose. So I think Adonis would win a lot of those. But from talent, it was me. Everything between the three of us was always a competition. Who is my dad's favorite? 
it's me. Who is my mom's favorite? It's probably Adonis. It was just always a kind of like a a sibling rivalry, but like a loving competition too. We always like supported each other. Like everybody has their niche, but we were always we're always trying to one up each other. And that is the climate in which the now adult Hamadi family held a competition to end all competitions. This is the story of what happened when a family found themselves together for the first time in a long time. On one level, it's a pandemic story of a family hunkering down, getting to know each other again, and keeping themselves entertained as the world outside shuddered. When this all started, I thought it was just something to pass the time. We just were like, okay, let's do this one-off thing. We're really bored. We're competitive. It'll be fun. But I never imagined what it would become. I thought it was a one-time thing on Snapchat just to send to my buddies. But it's also a story about reaching out. When news from the outside world made its way into the Hamadi's living room and gave them and their little family competition the chance to make a difference. I mean, we did not expect this to grow as much as it did. It surpassed all expectations on all fronts. If you would have told me how this ended, how the story ended, I would have laughed in your face. I would have never believed you. And with that, Rima Hamadi will take us back to the beginning. When my older brother Adonis and I moved back into my parents' house in Mississauga, we were all just so happy to be together. Here's Adonis. At the beginning, um, it was actually amazing. Like we hadn't, so since I went to university, none of us had ever, not all five of us have never lived together um, on, in the same house. So so at the beginning, it was it was a like, kind of like a reunion, like the friends reunion. It was great. And everybody was together and everybody, we were like doing activities and, and whatever, just like catching up because our parents travel a lot. Um, they're in and out. I lived in one place, you lived in one place. And then Rami, our younger brother, lived in another place. So it was good. It was lots of fun. Lots, lots of, um, lots of catching up, I guess. My younger brother, Rami, still lived at home as my parents weren't ready to be empty nesters yet. So as you know, I like to play a lot of games. So when there's more people in the house, there's more games to be played. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Wow, you liked having us back? 100%. When there's, when there's people, other people to pick on other than me, it's always fun to share the blame. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic was uh, like hard because... Uh, all the world is was going through uh, psychological, economical, uh, even uh, social problems. But for me to have my kids under the same roof again, it was like so much fun. COVID had a lot of negative effect on people and everything, but uh, fortunately on, on us, I think it, was, uh, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. And we got back together and we had things to do all the time and we organized stuff to do. One of those things was watching MasterChef on TV. Because I'm addicted to the show. Since I make you watch the show all the time, can you just describe the, how the show works and what you like about it? Well, who said I liked it? 
okay, how the show works is uh, there's chefs on there and they cook for judges and judges um, score them based off of taste, uh, presentation, um, like skill level, like a, like how hard the dish is, how easy the dish is. And there's different themes and there's time, time limits. So we were all watching it because of you. I love food, eating it and watching people make it. The rush of creating a dish in one hour and then being judged on it, it's like I could taste each dish through the screen. And it's also something that I thought I could learn from because I'm not the greatest cook. And then um, I would say like we're a competitive bunch. So we started off like, oh, you, I could cook the best. No, I can't. Back and forth, back and forth. Okay, prove it, prove it. And that's how it started. You and Adonis were arguing who can make something better. And I think me or Joe said, let's make a competition out of it. And that's how it started. A game that would keep us busy one Sunday night. Something to take our minds off the pandemic. My older brother Adonis and I were the competitors. Although I was pretty reluctant at first. Yeah, you fought it at the beginning. I didn't want to, but then mom said... I don't want to cook all the time. And then I felt bad. So I said, okay, fine, I'll cook. But I didn't want to because one, I'm not the most, I wouldn't say I'm lazy. <laughs> let me let me tell them you're lazy. <laughs> let me help them out, the people. <laughs> I'm not lazy, but I don't like to do things when I don't need to. Before this started, by the way, for those people listening, I had made toast and cereal. That was... The extent of my cooking had never cooked anything else. That was it. So, I mean, I really went out there on a limb saying that I could cook better than you at that point. You said something like, I will give my left arm if you can cook better than me. Like you were so certain that you could cook better than me. And it's not like I was a sous chef. I believe I could pick up the whole cooking thing. And I'm just telling the people the truth, which is I had zero cooking experience before. My younger brother, Rami, was one of the judges, along with my parents. I was the judge. I was uh, very lucky to uh, <laughs> eat beautiful meals. And, you know, I love my food. And uh, so uh, I was lucky enough to have great meals cooked and watch you guys uh, compete. Uh, very fierce competition. And uh, the, my title is the Swiss ch uh, Judge. Why is it the Swiss judge? Swiss judge because I was neutral, because it's hard for me to uh, vote for one against another. <laughs> um, like, I don't like to have favoritism among my kids. They are both excellent to me. As a family, we decided on a theme, and we wanted to make it an easy one. So on Sunday night, we were cooking chicken. I chose a dish I had made once before, a balsamic chicken stuffed with goat cheese and a side salad. Adonis made a pesto chicken with tomatoes, mushrooms, with a Greek salad on the side. My parents were excited to see us both cooking, a sight that doesn't happen often. So they kept coming into the kitchen, peeking on us as we were trying to focus, and then we would eventually kick them out. Adonis and I divided up the kitchen. His station was near the oven and mine was near the stove. We shared supplies and tried to be gracious competitors. Emphasis on the tried. 
When our dishes were ready, we set them down in front of the judges. They tried Adonis's first. Rami filmed the whole thing on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? The pesto with Very the baragula nice. and the mushrooms. crazy. Try it. Mm. That's my mom trying to be diplomatic. Here's my taste test. Mm. How is it? Very nice. It's good? <laughs> I don't know, we gotta let the judges pick, I don't know. <laughs> your chicken was awesome. I remember that, that was a great, great chicken. That was your first win, for sure. I remember that, 100%. Do you remember anything about Adonis's? It sucked, right? It, it was dry, it was dry, and it wasn't, it wasn't good at all. Do you have anything to say to that? He does not remember eating that back in whatever it was. So he lied to everybody on national radio. Well, in, like, you have to make it, take into consideration it was his first time doing this dish. And uh, compared to whatever, like it's his time, first time, he did well. Okay. Like it, it was uh, edible. <laughs> we definitely had our... our trust issues with Adonis's chicken because he started from scratch like you I know you don't like to say this but you had a little bit more experience than him so you were the heavy favorite did I get salmonella after no so it was a it was a success if you couldn't tell I was triumphant and so was the night so my younger brother posted it on his social media I'm not a big social media guy but Am I going to miss a chance of Adonis cooking something and screwing up? Uh, 100% no. So I had to record it and then post it on Snapchat for a couple of my buddies. And I guess the demand after seeing that grew a lot. We said, just videotape it for memory. And then I guess, you know, the enthusiasm grew and it ended up where it ended up. I had posted it on my social media too, and soon dozens of messages were coming our way, asking when was the next episode. With Adonis wanting to get even, I caved to the pressure. And so the Hamadi family cooking competition was born. We took turns grocery shopping for each other. We would give each other a list and then grocery shop. 90% me. 90% was him. And you're, you're just better at a grocery store. Regardless of who was doing the work outside of the kitchen, we were all putting in our time inside the kitchen. And that included Rami. After chicken night, my younger brother's role became much more complex. I was the producer, co-writer, HR department, and everything behind the scenes. He chose pasta night as our next theme. So the following Sunday, Adonis and I were back in the kitchen. A friend had given me a great recipe for lemon pasta, and I don't know where Adonis got his recipe from, but it was some sort of pasta with red sauce. Here's the judges eating what he presented. Not good. Mm. <laughs> she baked it, for sure. Let's see this. On the other hand, my dish was something my family still talks about, not to brag. This is Rami. Mmm, pasta night. You made a good pasta. I did. One of the top highlights of, of the, I guess, best dishes top five, I would give pasta probably number one or two. I just remember after that, after sitting down, I wanted you to make it every Sunday. Wow, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Donis's pasta, do you remember it? it? It was unedible. It was just so hard to do with pasta, but it literally, we had to throw it in the garbage. 
yours was amazing and a new idea like you did the lemon uh, pasta but adonis um uh, on the other hand it was nice with with red sauce but no herbs and no uh, uh no salt <laughs> that was that was another great dish by you um i remember you won that night too and there was two nothing and everybody was making you know adonis feel really um useless because you know two two strikes this is adonis i i <laughs> i don't like there wasn't much thought at the beginning for me it was just oh they like angel hair pasta it was an angel hair pasta with the rosé sauce yeah they like that but i mean the thoughts started coming later on for sure but um you know what he picked it up later he picked it up later He did pick it up because after week two, Adonis was way more strategic. He was not going to be humiliated every week by his family and the growing number of viewers on social media. Things started escalating and getting more intense as the episodes went on, where I'd like study them the night before and I'd go check, like I check multiple recipes and ask people who had already like cooked the recipes and I ended up. buying a knife and getting a, getting a uh, an apron and like a hat week 3 was vegetarian theme i was feeling pretty confident at this point having one two in a row and adonis was presenting food that looked like a child had made it but maybe i was feeling a bit too confident adonis made eggplant lasagna i made thai curry this is rami yes and i remember you put a little bit too much spice in the uh, in the curry if i remember correctly See your only problem was you never played to the judges. Like if you just were looking for the best dish or Adonis was looking what would the judges like the most. And the winner for tonight's competition is Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually he won. Uh, his uh, lasagna was really nice. We both liked it. And um yours was was good too, but maybe um I don't know. We wanted to give Adonis some <laughs> encouragement. <laughs> He excelled at this. It tasted awesome. It was really really good. He did a great dish and uh, that night uh, he was uh, it was very ecstatic that he won. <laughs> it was his first win. And while I wasn't a great cook, I was still pretty confident that I was better than Adonis. Confident enough that I doubled down on spice. which may have been a mistake given my audience. Okay, so the next week we made chili and I made mine spicy cuz that's how chili is supposed to be. You're supposed to know and cook for your judges. Like you're going to be judged by me, you should not cook something I do not like. Adonis played it really smart because he knows uh, your dad doesn't like spicy at all. And that's how he he won that night. The consensus uh, <laughs> was by a split decision. The winner tonight for the chili is Adonis. <laughs> oh man! Oh, oh man! Thank <laughs> <laughs> <Not> you. <again. laughs> Joe hates spice, and you you burnt his tongue, but. Uh, I mean yeah it was a miss by you and a hit by me. The first few times I didn't care as much, but when it got serious, I was so nervous. Every week 
on the Friday, I would be like, I'm going to bed. And then I, when I was asleep, I would dream about me screwing up. My whole Saturday was a write-off because I was so nervous. And then Sunday I would wake up and I'd be so nervous because you never let me forget when you win. If you were like a fine winner, I would be fine with it. But whenever you, whenever you. <laughs> oh, not, let's, not, let's not go there, please. We know who the sore loser is in the family. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just competitive. But whenever you won, you, you would walk around with trophies and play songs all the time. And you, he actually ended up buying a $10 WWE belt that he had. And he was so excited about it. So just every time you did win, it was just like, oh no, what's going to happen? Champions deserve prizes. <laughs> As you can tell, it didn't take long for our sibling rivalry to make a comeback. At first, it felt a little bit strange because we hadn't lived together in such a long time. The boys and my dad had a lot of time on their hands. They're engineers and most of their projects were put on hold. To pass the time, we were taking walks, holding movie nights, and watching a lot of documentaries. But by May, they were back in the office while I was usually working from home. And every Sunday, we kept up with the competition. It was May 3rd and the tally was 2-2, a neck and neck competition. And I started feeling the heat from my fans. Yeah, by this point, I had fans. For next week, the theme was Asian food. I was getting messages about how to do better, what recipes to cook, and how I could beat Adonis. At Nora 10, oh my god, Rima, you have to try this honey glazed salmon recipe that I make sometimes. It is so good. At Deanna HM, I'm sitting here homeschooling my kids, and all I can think of is how excited I am for your cook-off on Sunday. Come on, Reems, you got this, girl. At Roro XXO. I'm not sure what theme is next week, but I have the best honey garlic chicken recipe that I make all the time. Adonis won't stand a chance. I'll send it to you right now. Let's go, Rima! So I decided to go back to the tactic I used for the first two weeks and accepted the suggestion from my friend Rochelle, who had sent that last Instagram message. I cooked her honey garlic sesame chicken and Adonis cooked pad thai. Actually, Rima's was very delicious, very tasty. Ado's was harder recipe. Like it took more time and more effort. Ima's was were cooked perfectly. It was a little bit too much sauce. Adonis was was not enough sauce. That chicken was excellent again. I mean, probably you should cook chicken all the time. <laughs> Every time you cook chicken, you won. <laughs> <laughs> so that no, that was I remember that dish. That was a great dish for sure. And Adonis's wasn't good at all. The further the competition advanced, the more determined Adonis and I became to win, and the more insistent my mom became on protecting each of us from a humiliating defeat. To her, a unanimous win equaled humiliation. As soon as Swiss judge realized that a uh, knight was going to be a unanimous winner, she would quickly try to change her vote. You cannot change it. I'm going with that. <laughs> I'm not going to change no, it. No, but it's not fair. Oh. No, no, it's not fair. Okay, I'm going with that. It's 100%. not fair. You can't change it now to make it non-unanimous. You can't. Please, please. <laughs> I'm going to this favor. Haram. Like, I don't want the three votes to go to only one. And when the, uh, Joe and Remy discovered that, they made me vote first. 
so I won't change my mind. <laughs> it was week five, our most controversial episode to date, and one of the first signs of just how invested our fans were. We called it Mango Gate. I was trying to cut some mangoes for my side dish, but wasn't making any headway. That's when my mom stepped in to help. All of a sudden, I see my mom cutting mangoes for her. Wow, that's deduction. She was unable to cut the first and the second mango, which means she would have been mangoless. Her dish completely changes without the goat coming and interfering. And I just want a fair playing field, that's all. Honestly, he bought the mangoes, so he started the issue. She thought the mangoes were too soft or hard, whichever one it was, and she was unable to cut them, and she used them as a part of her dish, and, and that was not allowed. He was saying that I, I should have been disqualified, but I ended up winning unanimously that I, night. I, I, I said, what I said is, you shouldn't be allowed to use mangoes in your dish, not disqualified. Just You had to take the mangoes and not use them because you did not cut them. That was what I said. And if you can sleep at night, you take that victory, no problem. What was that, week what? Week five, okay. Week five with an asterisk. There is no asterisk I won. I, unanimously I won. You think the mango... No mango, would you have won? Yes, because my dish was the chicken honey garlic. The mango was a part of my side. Oh, the, the mango brings the acidity, the flavors of the acidity. It helps the chicken pop. It's, it does. It makes the whole dish. When mom cut the mango for you, which caused an uproar with the with the fans as well. With the fans? The fans cared? Yeah, yeah. They said that this is not fair. We have Samuda coming in and helping out Rima. The fans weren't happy. At Eterelli91. Let's file an inquiry. This nonsense has to stop. At Anis underscore Khoury. Adonis definitely tried to sabotage Rima there. He's creating something out of nothing, and I will not stand for it. At Norten. No, 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 no. That seems suspicious. I should not be allowed. I don't care. People were watching our stories and they were, it was something that was on their minds and would reach out and like message, be like, this is the, I, I wait every Sunday for this. Like, please don't stop it. So why do you think people connected with it so much? Well, one, I think people were at home doing nothing. So, I mean, everybody was locked down social media in general slash like being on your phone was heightened to an all-time high um so that's part of it for sure because if people were out doing things they just don't have time to watch that and it was just like in good fun and and everybody was at, stuck at home having something to, to look forward to you could only watch so much tiger king and whatever else shows were on at that time this wasn't just true for the people watching our videos but for us too Maybe being nervous Friday, Saturday, Sunday was good for you. So you had something to look forward to, right? So I think that was it for me too, because I, I like had a couple times during the pandemic where I just wanted to get out. Like I needed to get out of the house, needed to do this, to do that. And if you have something to look forward to every Sunday or something to do, something to prepare for, those thoughts can enter your brain. At what point did you start recognizing that this was bigger than like just a family competition on a Sunday, that this was getting really popular? You know, when, when people started, uh, uh, you know, meeting us on the street and say, you're the judge on, on the uh, <laughs> cooking competition. 
when I was stopped and asked if, if I am one of the judges, I was shocked. And I, you know what, some faces I never uh, seen in my, in my life, but because they saw us uh, through the media, social media, and so from one way I was happy that I am becoming famous. Another way I was pleased that, you know, people are uh, following uh, these things. It's not going uh, just down the drain. Our competition had gone from something we were doing to pass the time to something others were using to pass the time during the pandemic. It was insane. Every Sunday we would get close to a thousand views on our videos. I guess probably Rami taking some wagers on the uh, on the events. <laughs> he opened up like a little wager uh, Instagram or whatever it was, and people started putting wagers on it. So that's when I realized it was probably bigger than uh, than we originally anticipated it being. I was getting DMs of people that I honestly didn't recognize or remember who they were, saying that I love this, I want to come be a guest judge, I want to uh, give my input, this and that. But uh, I, I would never imagine what, what came next. AC here. Coming up, the Hamadi family cooking competition that had been designed as an escape and distraction is about to be brought sharply into the real world. That's next. Sit tight. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. It was week nine of our competition with a record number of followers when the story broke. Today, we as a people, we are mourning, we are hurt, deeply hurt. The death of George Floyd, a black man pinned down by his neck during an arrest by a white police officer, has led to nights of rioting and touched a nerve across the United States. Screens around the world were flooded with news of George Floyd's death. As Sunday came around, my brothers and I did a group huddle and chose to skip the competition that week. It was fresh and like, it was the only thing in everybody's social media, TV, everything. And it was just felt wrong to be doing a joking light thing where Rami throws in a joke or two every time and we're laughing and whatever during those times. Because again, it was it was really fresh and there was outrage and people were... It was consuming everybody's, every screen. So it just didn't feel right. I think we had a discussion that like, because me, you and Rami discussed it. And I said like, this people are using this time to educate mm -hmm. and to like put out their opinions and, and try to leave the space, the social media space and like TV and whatever to like educate people who might not know this happens or might not know that it's like systematic racism. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we felt together that maybe we need to allow that space to be that space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they couldn't get their Sunday relief. 
it was really a very sad kind of um, environment, uh, in, you know, in the house and in, in the society as, as a whole. I think you heard from all, uh, all the viewers, all the people that they were watching, where are you, what you're doing, uh, when is uh, the next episode, and then uh, the next week you decided to do it, but raise money. While most of the family had taken a step back, Rami had been thinking, we have this platform, now how can we use it to help? So I, I thought about Like, I thought it would be best to kind of figure out how we're going to support uh, this cause. So the next week when we held the competition and Rami posted it online, he also did something else. I, I just started a GoFundMe. We put it on our link. We, we posted a video saying any donations will match uh, and, and send it over to, actually you found the charity, BLAC. We will match and send it over to BLAC, and we got immediate support and messages, uh, kind of uh, really happy that we were uh, doing our part. BLAC stands for Black Legal Action Center. It's a not-for-profit legal clinic that combats anti-Black racism. It provides legal services to members of Ontario's Black communities. Here's Adonis. We were having like internal discussions, didn't know how much we would raise but any any amount was gonna be um, better than nothing and like we're not talking about we reached out to like millions of people but whatever it was hundreds of people maybe a thousand people like what is the negative there's no downside to it the reaction was overwhelming like it was insane how many people donated so what was going through your mind when you started seeing all those donations pop up I gotta find another job <laughs> because I don't know if we're able to support that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were matching it. Honestly, uh, we thought we're going to raise, you know, $500 and match it and send them $1,000. I mean, uh, we never expected that we will raise $2,500. And it was just, it was over what, how long? Like five hours, six hours? So it was it was uh, a lot of support and we're, we're very happy that, uh, I guess, the community around us Uh, rose to the occasion. In total, we ended up sending just over $5,000 to the Black Legal Action Center. Since then, I thought it's not only about cooking, it's not only about we're locked down and we can't do much, so we came up with this idea to get entertained. Then when it started to entertain others at home, Um, you know, it's this uh, other st- another step we went on. And then when we started to give back to the community, it's another step up too. And while Adonis took the win home that week, it didn't really matter. We were just happy to have been able to do something. Our cooking competition had been going on for 10 weeks and had become something so much bigger than any of us had anticipated but it was time for it to end. By the end of June, things were opening up again in Toronto and everyone's lives were starting to get busy. So with Adonis and I tied at five apiece, we decided on one final installment to settle the championship. The theme was dessert, my favorite. I was extremely excited just to finally pick a winner and 
I don't know why, but it it brought me a lot of joy to see you and Adonis stressing on that last day. <laughs> Maybe it's the sibling in me, but it was really fun to actually see something very important to both of you where there's going to be one winner. Everybody in the house knew Rima is the dessert queen. She had been making desserts for us the whole pandemic, and I had never done a dessert in my life. I've eaten a lot, but I've never made one. And I got creative. That Sunday in the kitchen, you could cut the tension and the chocolate with a knife. You don't what need are you this doing? much. What are you, doing? you don't need this much I need it. chocolate. I need it all. Yes, I, the, the machine takes sixteen hundred ounces. What are you doing? What do you need? I need one more. Chill out. That's not seventy. That's not this the one you want. Seventy-eight. I was nervous for one thing. I was nervous that your dish wouldn't be up to you know to the winner uh, circle, and because I know you're very emotional, if you don't win, <laughs> you'll be a disaster. And I wasn't going to cheat and make you win. I was going to judge as I'm supposed to judge. Coated in flour, chocolate powder, and a light coating of sweat from the anxiety, we presented our plates to the judges for the last time. The dishes I chose were tiramisu and a chocolate fountain uh, and some fruits to dip into the chocolate fondue fountain. So I decided to make chocolate lava cake three ways. One regular, one with salted caramel, and one with raspberry because the Swiss judge... Her weakness is chocolate lava cake, and the boys like everything. And then we waited patiently while they sampled. Wow. Even Italian restaurant doesn't do that. Wow. Insane. Wow. And after 30 minutes of deliberation, the judges would crown a champion of tonight's dessert, and by default, the whole competition came down to the head judge to make a decision and the decision was a winner by a split decision. Rima! All I saw from your side was screaming and all I saw from Adonis' side was head down. <laughs> like it was the classic winner elated and then loser just devastated. I blacked out, I don't remember. How do you black out? The memory is shredded. It's gone. <laughs> Bye. Because you don't want to remember the moment that I won? Yes, of course. Why? Like, why would I remember that? A moment of my defeat? It's gone. It's just deleted. The cake? 100%. You won. I, if I was a judge, I would have voted for you. Lava cake, it's hard to make. The molten in the middle and the two layers to be spongy. Yeah, it was good. I, I cannot say that it didn't work. It worked. I voted for you. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was excellent. I think uh, mom felt bad for Adonis and voted for him just as, uh, you know, just because she didn't want you to win unanimous. So, uh, so you and Remy voted for me and mom voted for Adonis. Yeah, but don't tell anybody. It's, it's my favorite uh, dessert and uh, you made it very well. Well, what did you do? You almost made me lose. Yeah, because I didn't, like, they they all chose you. And uh, I felt so bad for Adonis because he did really a good dessert too. Our family's cooking competition had been a huge success, but now it was over. While I loved spending time with my family and, of course, beating Adonis with my superior dishes, I'd never really gotten over my nerves. 
I felt like I was always holding my breath for those Sunday nights. So it felt nice to have my weekends back, especially as the world began to open up over the summer. But a month later, our family and our fans would have another role to play. There are fears hundreds of people may be dead or injured after a gigantic explosion today in Lebanon's capital. The blast happened in the port of Beirut. Officials say the area was used to store explosive material. 24 hours after that massive explosion, the casualties are mounting. At least 135 people are dead and more than 5,000 injured. Both numbers expected to climb. The frantic search for survivors continues tonight amid the twisted metal, broken concrete, and shattered glass. The explosion in Beirut hit close to home for our family. I was at work, and I heard about the explosion. Then I came home, and, you know, the the severity of the explosion, we thought something is majorly wrong, and uh, it was very major, and... uh, very unfortunate for the city, for the people, and, and for Lebanon as whole. I grew up in, uh, in Beka Valley in Lebanon, a town called, small town called Bakifa. I, I went to school there, grew up there, and um, uh, I went to a school in Beirut for a year. During the 70s, uh, this, the, the war in Lebanon, uh, civil war was, uh, was going on, so um, um, in 1978, uh, there was no opportunity to go to university, and uh, my late brother was here. So, I thought it would be great for me, a great opportunity for me to build a life in a new, in a stable country. So, uh, I came to Canada in 1978 to continue my studies. I was 20 years old. I was born in Lebanon. You know, I was probably 9, 10 when the war broke up in Lebanon, uh, civil war. Uh, We lived hard time. Then my dad and mom decided to immigrate. We chose Canada. It was 1984. We came as a family, myself, my mom, dad, and sister and brother. I was 21. Actually, I wanted to go back uh, the second month. <laughs> Why? Because, um, you know, I left all my friends and uh, uh, some relatives. And uh, you know how when you uh, come to a culture, you have like cultural shock at the beginning. Everything was new, uh, even though um, I didn't feel uh, a stranger here. All the Canadians were welcoming, very much so, and they tried to help in many ways. When I came here, I did not speak any English, spoke a bit of French and Arabic, and uh, went to English school, uh, worked in restaurants as a dishwasher, busboy, as a waiter, and went to UFT engineering school, and uh, never looked back. I went to university here knowing no one. So that was a bit hard, but then it didn't take me much to make friends. So uh, I came here and um, that was a great decision. And you can't forget you met mom here. Of course, of course, that's a big bonus. (laughs) That's a big bonus. And we had three beautiful kids too. (laughs) So when the explosion happened in Beirut, it felt personal. 
It was devastating for us to see uh, the city you were living in um, shaking that way. So we started connecting with the people we know who live there in these areas. And you hear all kind of stories. And, you know, from my family, like the immediate family, thank God nobody was hurt uh, by chance because of the pandemic. Some of them were not in the country. Some of them were in the mountains. Some of them, because of the pandemic, uh, many lives were saved. We were also fortunate that we were not in Beirut at the time. My parents have an apartment there in a high-rise block not far from the port and were usually there every year. The apartment had been hit hard by the blast. The windows were all shattered and the furniture and appliances damaged. People living in the block had been forced to leave. Well, honestly, we were lucky there was COVID. We did not end up going to Lebanon and we used to walk around the port all the time, me and your mom. So we would have been walking that day around the port uh, because it's usually like around 6 p.m. we walk before our night starts and uh, the explosion happened at that time. So uh, what went, uh, went through my mind is we were lucky. We did not go. We were lucky to have COVID and prevented us from going. We kind of met as a family in the, in the family room and, and wanted to see what course of action makes sense for us. And I forget who said, uh, let's do a GoFundMe and match like we did with the previous BLAC. But uh, we ended up putting it together, and I, I would never imagine what, what came next. We put a GoFundMe up um, and started sharing it and on social media platforms. And uh, Joe suggested out of this huge generosity that he's going to match all, that our family's going to match all the um, donations that we got. And we were throwing out numbers like, we're going to raise max 30K, 20K, whatever we said, right? That was like, again, hoping that we raised the maximum amount. We didn't care, but just those are what we predicted because you're going to have those discussions. And the uh, the beneficiary was the Red Cross in Beirut uh, because Red Cross was doing a lot of work on, you know, sheltering people that affected by the explosion, um, uh, rebuilding homes, um, just, uh, uh, you know, helping injured people. So we thought the Red Cross was the best vehicle um, of doing it. There was no cooking contest to go with this call out. The competition was over and I had been crowned victor. But while the competition was done, the community we had built online hadn't gone anywhere. All of us were still pretty active on social media. Only now, we were posting videos of what was happening on the ground in Beirut. So when we launched the GoFundMe, we posted it on our Instagram stories, asking people to donate what they could. And they did. We were overwhelmed with the amount of people who donated, and we weren't expecting the, the money we raised. Like the first few hours, we raised 75000 and it was going up minute by minute. I think it was exactly 20 hours later, we closed it at $100,000. I think they... They saw that how affected we were and how much this hit close to home and wanted to contribute and help, which was like a very overwhelming feeling. You see people, some of them that we knew, 
um, that uh, you know suffered injuries, suffered uh, destruction. Uh, our apartment in, in Beirut, uh, you know, was half destroyed. It was, it, you know, it was very close to home. People we know got injured. People we know that lost loved ones. So it was very emotional. And we promised to match everything. So out of respect for the people that that donated, we had to match everything. But we we had to stop it after 24 hours, right? I'm sure if we didn't cap it, it would have kept going. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people that reached out after that still wanted to donate. And I put a link in my Instagram page that says, you guys can still donate. Like, it's just that GoFundMe has shut down. But here is the direct link to the Red Cross, to the Lebanese Red Cross. And please go ahead and donate. It'll be going to the same place. It meant a lot. Uh, and uh, the, the sad things is, you're, you know, you're very far away from it. Uh, but we feel better that, you know, we, we, we've done something to help. We don't know how many of the donations came from people who had been watching our cooking competition versus people in the wider community, but the impact of our followers was undeniable on the fundraising and on us. We'd set out to make a goofy, low-key cooking competition to entertain ourselves, and then that turned into entertaining others. Our fans used it as a distraction from what was going on in the world. But when the real world needed them, they paid attention. People have good hearts. People are generous. The nature of, of people are they feel with each other. They help each other. And whenever there's need, people uh, volunteer to give. And that, you know, makes me believe more in people, which I do. No words can express how, how much we appreciate the support and the nice words and uh, standing beside uh, humanity anywhere in the world. So looking back, what did you take away from this experience? I took away that... Uh, Someone that didn't know how to make anything but cereal can start making lobster risotto if he puts his mind to it in Adonis. I know that you have the ability to make some crazy things in the kitchen if you're not lazy. (laughs) And the third thing I figured out is that Swiss judge would never, ever pick a side if her life depended on it. As a family, it brought joy and fun and uh, responsibilities. My, my kids like felt responsible that they need to help me cooking. And uh, actually, I expected to starve on Sundays. <laughs> I, like They surprised me big time how good they were. I was very impressed and pleased. And uh, it was delicious yummy well uh, achieved one thing and that i got 11 great meals <laughs> and no it really achieved um, i guess a lot of fun we did a lot of good great things uh, like like fundraising and it uh, showed uh, as a family that you have a great talents in cooking <laughs> the whole experience made us you know, closer because every night we, we spend it together. We had food together, meals together that we never really had since you went to university. I think it brought us closer in the sense of like, it created really fun memories. And now we like 
have these jokes together or whatever, which is fun. Yeah, I think time would have moved a lot slower during that time if we didn't have that. But I think it also, like, brought us together in the sense of, like, we, like, it started out as just a fun thing to pass the time, and it ended off as a thing that reached greater than we ever imagined, and that kind of growth really, like, connected us in a special way. So I think it, I think it's something that we'll remember for the rest of our lives, for sure. Yeah, I agree, for sure. And it also taught you how to cook, which we're all very thankful for. (laughs) Yeah, Rima, I always had it in my back pocket, just been hiding it. That story was produced by Rima Hamadi and Allison Cook. It was edited by the Doc Project team and made with support from the CBC Radio Doc Mentorship Program, which helps new and developing doc makers get to air. To see Rima and Adonis in action, head to our website. We have posted what is possibly their most high-stakes cook-off. Not Mango Gate, but desserts. The deciding final round. That's at cbc.ca slash docproject. There, we have also posted a link to the recipe for Rima's lemon pasta. What was your favorite meal of the whole entire experience? The lemon pasta was really good. Wow, you chose mine. Yeah. You should make that again. I will. I'll make it for you. Tomorrow. Okay. (laughs) That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Tanara McLean, Joan Weber, Sherry OKK, and me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. And our executive producer is Joan Melanson. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.